Welcome back to Master the Marketplace with Caspian. Welcome to another episode of Master the Marketplace. Well, 2020 is over, 21 has started, and what a year 2020 has been. COVID full year is what I call it. There's been just so much going on in our space as it relates to e-commerce, the changing landscape. 10 years of e-commerce has happened overnight. That's what experts say. And speaking of experts, we've got two on our podcast today, Kelsey Gruis and Megan Lauterbach from Caspian, who are going to talk about how the year has evolved and how 21 and what 21 is going to bring for us. So there's a lot to discuss about trends in e-commerce as it relates to 21, as it relates to 22, and how this space is going to evolve. And we're going to chat a lot about e-commerce and 21. So welcome to the show, both Megan and Kelsey. Thank you. Fantastic. Good. I know. I know. So let's start with just some introductions first. So Kelsey, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, the, the work you do at Caspian. Yeah. Yeah. So like Kunal mentioned, my name is Kelsey Gruis. I've been with Caspian actually six years in a couple days here. Um, so quite a while, which is great. Um, I've done a few different things within Caspian. Ultimately, where I'm at now is sort of transitioning out of our agency management space and moving into managing our sales team or our business development team. So um, what that means for me is I have a very in-depth knowledge of all things Caspian, specifically an agency, but, you know, owning the sales team, really working with those folks to make sure all the brands that we'll potentially partner with have a good understanding of Caspian and how we can work with them as well. Fantastic. And Megan, what about you? Yes. So I'm Megan Lauterbach and I've been with Caspian seven years. Um, just had my seventh year anniversary, so I've uh, been here for a little bit. Like Kelsey, I've done a variety of things, but today I am the general manager of our retail business and overseeing our account managers that directly work with the brands to really help launch their brands on all of the third-party marketplaces. Um, so from the retail side, I support Amazon US, Amazon International, Walmart, Target, eBay, um, all of the up-and-coming marketplaces. Fantastic. Well, welcome to the show. So I've got to start by asking both of you, Kelsey and Megan, how was fiscal year 20 for you? How did you feel, you know, as you went through the year? I know it was a very difficult year and some say, you know, e-commerce has helped companies like Caspian, but I know it's a different story from the inside. So tell me, how did the year go for you folks? Man, I feel like... Yeah, I feel like there was nothing I could have anticipated within this year, honestly. I think, um, I feel like it happened in the blink of an eye. I think our, you know, brand partners that we partnered with feel the same way. Um, I, I, it was, it was like two days ago, I was like, man, I am just tired because 2020 in the space that we're in was really fast moving, but regardless of who you are, 2020 was a whirlwind. And I feel like we felt that for sure. So I'm looking forward to 21. I think there were some really good things that came out of 20 and I'm sure we'll talk about those today, but um, ultimately it was a whirlwind. And I, like I said, I feel like I just couldn't have anticipated almost anything that came of it. Exactly. Kelsey hit it a nail on the head. It was nothing I could have ever anticipated um, from Amazon restricting entire categories because they had too much demand to them prioritizing MFN over offers over FBA because they couldn't get the goods out to consumers to Walmart, you know, far exceeding any expectations. It was, it was a wild year, but like Kelsey, when I take a minute and look back on it, 
I'm really proud of us as a company and all of the teams at Caspian for their ability to pivot and maneuver um, through such a crazy time. I mean, our partners, their warehouses closed down this year, but yet they still needed those sales to support their business and, you know, getting goods from overseas and how can we forecast better? It was, it's nothing that I could have ever have thought we would experience in such a short period of time. But 2021 is really exciting for me because I think we are, we have all the pieces to be such a great brand partner and helping brands continue to pivot through it. Because unfortunately, the fact of the matter is just because 2020 is gone, some of the lingering effects are still moving into 2021. So um, I feel really excited to be able to help brands continue to pivot and um, expand their business. Fantastic. I, yeah, go ahead, really, I, I think even our brands pivoted really well. I was thinking as you were talking, Megan, we had quite a few brands that we partner with and have for a long time who did some really cool things, even though they were like, you know, trying to figure out their uh, distribution lines and trying to figure out how they're getting inventory. They're also like creating masks in some examples. And we were able to help them get those to the front line, which I think is really cool. Just, I, I don't know. I, I think you're right. Just a lot happened, but we pivoted well. But I also think our brands did a really good job of not only pivoting for the space that they're in, but taking on some additional responsibility and like, let's get some masks out for one example. Yes. Absolutely. I think that's been the story for a lot of companies out there, right? The ones that have pivoted quickly were able to survive through the pandemic, through any trends that, that they saw changing. And so it's probably just a an example for folks even going into 21 is, you know, are you pivoting right now? Are you thinking about, you know, what those, what trends exist in your industry or in your business as you go into 21? And are you taking advantage, you know, of, of those? Okay, so let's talk about trends then. There's so many that are, that are out there. And I know one big trend that experts have been talking about and would love to get your thoughts on is just this concept of the competition on on marketplaces such as you know amazon in fact there was an article that that came out i don't know if you read it on marketplace pulse that basically said 75 percent of all sellers on amazon are from china and as opposed to true us brands and then the marketplace is flooded with you know a bunch of sellers from from china that are trying to private label their products and so i just want to get your thoughts on you know, the, your view on competition on the marketplace and what effect will that have on brands as we move into 21 and beyond? Absolutely. The competition on Amazon is fierce. Like that is just, I think every brand will say that and making sure that you have a good pulse on what competitors are doing, the new entrants, the old entrants, um, how your marketing is stacking up against theirs is very imperative. Um, we've done a variety of deep dives for brands over the years where we start to see a little bit of slip in the market share that they have. And the first thing that we go to is what new entrants are in the market and where are they populating in the marketing space. And typically what we'll see is that they come in strong with a lot of dollars and they're outbidding. So we need to put together a defensive strategy for our brands for a period of time to help them regain that because ultimately a lot of the brands in, that we've done this for our household name, they have a very strong loyal following and can survive out over these new competitors, but really understanding where they're at, what are they spending so that we can put together that strategy to help our brands maneuver through it without understanding that. I think a lot of brands that just kind of, you know, set it and forget it will become obsolete, unfortunately. That's right. That's right. Kelsey, your thoughts here? I was just going to add, I echo that. I was just going to add too, it's it's not, 
that was our sort of immediate response to COVID, right? Is seeing how many brands were flooding the marketplace, but this was going to be an issue no matter what. So yes, it was accelerated, but what Megan said is exactly right. And we have to make sure that we are working with our brands, which we do to make sure they're continuing to pivot. This isn't like a, let's evaluate the marketplace one time, re-strategize on marketing, and then it set it and forget it. It's Amazon's constantly coming out with new marketing initiatives or tweaking existing ones just slightly. Um, there's also like a, a ton more marketing um, outside of Amazon that we should be taking advantage of and helping our brands gain access to. And all of those things are important and I think really accelerated in the last year, but it has to be a part of your strategy going forward. And you have to be able to come out of the mindset of this has worked in the past, so this will continue to work. You have to be willing to take risks in some standpoint. You have to be willing to look at the data and what we've seen be successful for brands and work to implement it for yourselves because um, it's not set and forget it. It never has been, but especially now more than ever. So speaking to that point, I mean, where does the role of omni-channel experiences now fall into, like, should brands be thinking about, look, you know, Amazon's crowded. We should really be thinking about our entire digital presence overall through multiple online channels, including direct to consumer through our own website. What do you think are the, what are your thoughts on just this omni-channel like view? Should brands be taking that as they go into 21? Yeah, I think I think definitely. I think one of the first things that, that comes to mind to me is, and you just mentioned it, Kunal. You know, a majority of the sellers on on Amazon or product is coming direct from from China, and I think the consumer is getting smarter. And not that that's a bad thing or that's something to be concerned about, but a lot of people, especially with the changes we've seen in 2020, are really starting to take a position of brand loyalty. Um, so if if I'm a brand and I just have a single threaded approach or my approach doesn't match across all the different channels that I'm on, it can be a little bit concerning or confusing for a customer. And um, again, where I think Amazon used to be, it still is a really quick sale for a lot of customers and in turn for a lot of brands, but people are doing their research now. I mean, people are starting their shopping on Amazon and that's been true for a while, but they're also validating it up against where else they've seen the product, whether it be an influencer or their direct website. So if you don't have a holistic approach or you're not working to expand your reach, I think you'll see, I think you'll see some, some issues as we go forward. Megan would love to get your thought on that as well, but specifically related to brand building, because I think Kelsey hit on a good point, which is how important building your brand is for you to get an edge relative to all these other players trying to get on into your category, for example. So what's your thoughts on brand building and how important that is? Yes, absolutely. Sorry, I'm going to apologize for my coworker really fast. Um, she obviously <laughs> has a lot to say on this topic too. But I do think I 100% agree with Kelsey that brand building is huge. And I think it's extremely important too, depending on the category that you're in. Customers want to be able to buy something that they are confident in. And the way that customers gain that confidence is by understanding the brand, being able to really assimilate and trust the products that they're getting. Where I think, you know, what I've seen when I've even shopped on Amazon or elsewhere and it is a kind of unbranded product, I put a stigma against it, right? I say, oh, the quality must not be that good or the product I'm getting may not be awesome. So really building that brand will help give that customer confidence to one, continue to buy from your brand and really use that as a launching point of um, reoccurring purchases, but also really help kind of that entrance of acquiring your first customer. The other thing I was gonna say on this 
is diversifying where you're selling your product, I think has also become extremely important. So while Amazon's the 100 pound gorilla and you should continue to sell there, what we saw during COVID is that it took customers a long time to get product. And our customers nowadays are very accustomed to getting product, free shipping two days, even sooner. So if you're a brand, you don't wanna put all of your eggs in the Amazon basket because customers shifted where they were purchasing. They went to Walmart, they went to Target. And if you're not there, they're gonna buy your competitor. And if Amazon can, can't continue to keep up on that speed, you might've lost that customer just because you simply weren't on the other marketplaces that they wanted to shop on. So there seems to be also this debate out there in the industry around marketplaces versus direct to consumer through your own website. Like, what are your thoughts on how much attention a brand should give to building their own web presence through their own website, shopping on their website, direct to consumer, maybe using the Shopify's of the world? What are your thoughts there? Oh, I can kind of go back and forth on it, if I'm being honest. I think from a marketing standpoint, having your own website, doing, you know, social marketing to come back to your website and really get the customer that branded experience and get them ingrained in your product and your story is really important. But also the customer acquisition cost for something like that is incredibly high. Whereas if you were to just use the marketplaces, the customers are already there. The cost to acquire those customers are far less, but to Kelsey's point of building your brand and the importance of it in the future, it's almost going to become a necessity. I don't know if I could tell you, you should put you know 50% of your marketing budget to going direct to your brand or to Amazon. I don't know those pieces today, but it seems like the brands that are gonna survive through this will have a strong presence in both places. I also think it depends where you're at as a brand, right? I think I think what Megan said is especially true for brands who are a little bit more established, whether it be holistically or on Amazon, for example, only. But I think brand starting out, it's like I said, it's really important to build that brand awareness. And you have to have some sort of backup go-to so that me as a consumer, I can learn more information. And then no matter where I'm at, when I've learned that information, I can purchase. Like you don't want to add friction, right? So maybe I find your product on Amazon. I want to understand more about your brand. I land on your website. I should be able to purchase from there if that's ultimately where I want to make my decision. But there are ways that you can marry the two, right? Like you can hook your direct site right up to Amazon or, or other marketplaces that you're on. So the fulfillment isn't necessarily coming from you, but your customer has that experience of being able to check out wherever they decide to purchase your product. Um, so I think it's important to think about where you are as well. Whereas like Megan said, a lot of the brands we work with really are household staples. Like, you know, the name. Um, and so if they want that brand, they'll ultimately figure out where they can buy it. Um, but newer, newer brands, I think there's a lot of customer learning that goes on. So making sure you have multiple places to learn about the product where it's consistent and then ultimately be able to buy if that's the decision you make. That's a great point. And you also, you touched upon something that was kind of critical, which is, the customer experience and as COVID has taught us that the experience of maybe delivering a hygiene product in two days or same day shipping onto your doorstep was something that people expected. The convenience was such an important factor to a lot of consumers. Maybe folks who didn't shop online much, they now were forced to shop online because they were working from home. And so again, they were used, they got maybe exposed to a new experience. How important is customer experience going forward as we go into 21 and beyond? Because people were, ten, were forced into a new experience at some level. And now will that demand for a strong customer experience continue to increase, which means the bar to deliver a strong customer experience gets higher? What are your thoughts on the experience for customers? 
I think that it'll be incredibly important. I think what we saw is that the customers already had a bar, whether we knew it or not. And when Amazon couldn't hit those bars, they said, well, I'm going to go figure out a place that can. So I think um, the customer has opened their eyes to being able to shop online in a variety of different marketplaces in a variety of different ways. And they're going to continue to look to purchase from platforms that give them that experience that they want. Um, I also think that customers are, you know, looking for additional information in listings of products. I think that they're looking for better content. Like they're using the e-commerce marketplaces and direct websites to really inform what they're going to buy. Whereas before, maybe they found it in a brick and mortar store, touch it, felt it. And then they got home, thought about it, and then decided to purchase. They don't have that opportunity right now. So they're solely making their decisions based upon the information that is in front of them through all of these platforms. And if we don't step up the bar on the information that we're providing or being able to give them a more assimilated in-store experience, um, another brand could be, and you could be losing out customers in that way as well. Yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting too, right? Because your, your question, Kunal, which makes sense is like, how important is that customer experience, that user experience, but for these major marketplaces, Amazon, Walmart, you know, eBay, wherever you are, you're a little bit limited in your ability. If you are a brand to, to impact that right and granted like amazon is up there with the best of them you can add to cart you can buy now it's really easy but um there's really only so much you can do in that realm so i think what megan said is like even more important right because there are things as a brand whether you're working you know with a third-party retailer or an agency that you can uh still impact like how are you reaching out to your customer base that you already have and what are we offering them whether it be information or like loyalty programs or discounts and those are things that you can impact even selling on these major marketplaces that do have a standard for the the checkout process specifically um so i think just what she said is incredibly important because there's only so much you can impact so you have to be extra diligent and strategic with what you can and megan you made another very good point around the in-store experience now obviously we're all sitting at home we're shopping from from home grocery stores are open we tend to go there but as the vaccine comes in as things open up more what are your thoughts on just in-store retail will that open up to the same extent that it was pre-pandemic and if it does how will that change the experience for consumers as they as they continue to shop both online and offline what are your thoughts on just opening up of yeah. the retail world yep so my thoughts really are that you know, at the very beginning, once people are like, okay, I can go out, we could see a pretty good surge in actual brick and mortar shopping. People have been cooped up at home, like it'll be a novelty for them. Again, they'll be excited to go do it. But when the novelty wears off and life continues to be busy, I think we will see the pendulum swing back to where we are today. You can't argue that it's more convenient to shop online and have it just show up at your house, especially you know, in our busy, crazy world, you know, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're working tons of hours, if, you know, maybe you just want a few more minutes to yourself, this is the best way to do it. So while I think immediately customers will love to be able to go into the brick and mortar stores, I think we'll see them settle back into a very consistent purchasing pattern back online. Right. And Kelsey, related to that point, you know, I was talking to some research analyst recently and he mentioned to me he said kunal i predict that you know e-commerce is going to slow down in fiscal year 21 because things are going to open up and people are so cooped up at home they just want to get out there 
What are your thoughts on, do you think it's going to actually slow down or the pace of growth will continue or maybe slightly slow down? What are your thoughts there? I think it's got to at least slightly slow down, right? I think we can agree that this last year isn't necessarily sustainable, uh, or I would I would say that. I don't know if we can agree. Those are my thoughts. Um, I agree with Megan that I think we'll see a fairly immediate slow whenever the vaccine is a little bit more widely out there and things truly start to open back up. Um, but I personally, like, Target is delivering things to my door, and I don't know why I would ever stop that. Like, I can I can shop for, for groceries, I can get a sweater, and they're just, they're just dropping it off. And while I love like strolling the aisles of Target more than the next person, it's exactly what Megan said. It's so much easier. And now that I've gotten a taste of that, if I don't have to go back, I probably won't. Um, but what, what I think is interesting based on people I've talked to, the brands I'm managing on the agency side, and just my own shopping habits is my e-commerce spending was uh, in smaller segments, but much more consistent than if I had been shopping brick and mortar. Um, so I sort of think that we'll continue to see that happen, meaning people aren't going online doing like a major haul uh, on like Amazon or Walmart as much as they are. I know I can get this in two days and I need it now kind of thing. I'll just buy this one off. Um, so that's my thought is that it will slow a little bit. I, I think it will continue to be a huge part of, I mean, there's no, it's going to continue to like be a huge part of everyday lives. But I think it's going to slow a little bit from what we saw in 20. But I do think it'll still be like smaller orders, consistent or more frequently. You make a good point. I've noticed that about my personal habits as well in my household is you tend to order groceries every few days as opposed to doing one big bulk, yeah. you know, in-store, you know, grocery run. And so, you know, it comes in, in less than a day into your, into your doorstep. So, you know, might as well just order it whenever you want. So yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, so now speaking of groceries and delivering that to my door in 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 a few hours, fulfillment seems to be a big a big trend that that we've seen in fiscal year twenty, and it's also posed a bunch of challenges with all the things Megan you mentioned. I know initially, so how should brands prepare now as they go into twenty one, twenty two, and beyond for fulfillment, and how will that become a maybe a competitive differentiator for them? How is fulfillment going to evolve? How important is it for brands? Incredibly, that's how customers get the goods. <laughs> I everything I learned this year is the more diversified you could be and how you could and your fulfillment options, the better off you're going to be. You'll will really position you to be able to pivot when one of your fulfillment opportunities isn't working the way that you know your customers need it to work. Um, so I would recommend having many partners and maybe even being able to do it yourself to some degree so that you have more control over that customer experience. And I think being nimble in, in, in how you think about it too. So for example, a very specific, you know, example I'm thinking of is typically when you're sending into Amazon or Walmart, you're sending in bulk amount of units, right? But the inventory caps this year showed us that we have to be able to break outside of our normal case packs, for example, or my no normal like truckload or container that I'm sending. And if you don't have the facility that the facility or the manpower or the desire to go outside of what your normal process is there, we saw a lot of brands um, get stuck there, just not having the capacity to to kind of move outside of the normal production line that they have. So I think, yes, being able to diversify your inventory, how you're shipping it out, the partners you have, but but also like how you can get smaller orders out faster. So now you make a really good point, which which is around how do you get smaller orders out faster? And typically shipping of inventory has happened to large warehouses, maybe in some centralized location in the middle of America. 
How would that change if you had to get smaller orders out to customers quicker? How do you get that product closer to your customer? How will the fulfillment industry have to change to adapt to these, these new consumer behaviors that we're seeing? I think that's where having multiple partners comes into play. I mean, there are there are tons of different facilities and warehouses that are already all over the world. And I think being able to tap into them and take advantage of them, doing your research to understand like what makes sense for your customer base. And, and again, I said this a lot of times, but being able to be nim nimble and pivot, like as your customer base changes, so too do you. So finding a partner who has a vast array of warehouses and, and multiple locations um, will be important. And again, somebody who can be nimble in that production line. And I think the I agree. abilities that they yeah. have yeah. Oh, I agree. And I, you know, there's also this new trend around local fulfillment, uh, you know, local logistics, as opposed to the large, big logistics providers that have been out there, you know, for, for many, many years. And this new trend has been emerging around, you know, utilizing warehouse spaces that are closer to where your customers are, utilizing, you know, warehouses that were potentially office spaces before, but now using them as fulfillment facilities. And so we're seeing a little bit of that. We're seeing a bunch of local logistics companies prop up that are taking advantage of some of the capacity constraints that exist right now as it relates to getting product to customers. Any thoughts on local logistics versus more centralized large logistics? Just that it's really in the response to not having enough of it based upon the customer demand in 2020. So I think those people are positioning themselves well and it'll really help us get product to consumers faster. It gives us more options, which is great. Yeah, I think Kelsey, your point on just, you know, working with multiple partners who are able to support both a local option, a more centralized option, and just being able to diversify your logistics strategy or fulfillment strategy is going to be so critical for brands to consider. And it will be an investment up front too. For most brands, I would think it would be an investment of both time and potentially monetary resources to get yourself set up with multiple partners like that. But um, I don't even think it would take a pandemic to make that worth it as we go forward, just seeing how many people really are shifting to online shopping. That's right. Now, there was another point that you mentioned, I think it was a little earlier around how important retention of the customer is and as it relates to maybe a competitive differentiator, because they have so many options now, they can go and shop on Amazon and there's so many products flooded onto their face. So how do you think brands should, how, how do you think they should, they should um, strategize around retention? And, and is retention now becoming a lot more important as part of their strategy, as opposed to just selling each and every product at a, on a transaction-like basis like they did before? What's, what's your view on retention? I think retention is getting increasingly more important as more and more brands emerge. It costs so much money to acquire that first customer. So anything you can do to keep them within your flywheel is very important. So subscription services, if you're, you know, a consumable or reusable product, that is a very easy way to just have them, you know, set up their six months for subscriptions. They kind of set it and forget it an auto renew program so that they never leave your ecosystem for the product that you're selling. Um, I think it's going to be increasingly more important as we have more and more entrants um, on the marketplaces. And if you think about it too, you know, you don't get to touch, you don't get to feel, you don't get to have that in-person experience to truly understand what you're getting. So they're looking at it online and 
if they don't know what the competitors look like, they're probably going to like your product. Like there's not a lot that could deter them from it. So setting up that subscription is just a really easy way to get them to continue to buy and not even think about what the competitor landscape looks like out there. Yeah, and your point makes sense because of the rising costs of advertisements on the on the platform as well, right? It's like you're anyway spending so much to acquire the customer, you might as well do that once and then give them the right experience to retain them over a longer lifetime. Your thoughts, Kelsey? Yeah, I agree. I was just going to say for not all brands are going to be able to have a subscription service. It's just not going to make sense for the product type that they have. But there are, and again, there are costs to this. It is an investment, but there are retargeting ads that not only on like Amazon or the major players, but just off of Amazon as well. Just making sure you are retargeting your customers. I think, you know, if you're not a brand that has like a subscriptions type model or where it would make sense for that, your brand most likely has products that complement each other or are within the same realm of what your customer purchased. And so making sure that they have that awareness and that knowledge is huge because it's very likely that I as a customer landed on the first product I bought of yours because that's what I was looking for. Um, but if I had a good experience with the product, with the, you know, unboxing or the packaging of the product when I got it, and ultimately it's what I was looking for. I, I have the potential to be committed to that brand in that moment. I just need to be made aware of what other products you have out there. So there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, retargeting, as I mentioned, making sure you're tapping into your email base and reminding your customers what you have. It doesn't need to be a subscription model, but you can offer you know, discounts in some cases for trying additional products. There are a lot of ways to, to do it, but I think the gist, or I guess a long way of what I'm saying is, you have to make sure your customers know about your brand. You cannot expect that they found one of your products and understand the entire brand story from there. You have to work a little bit to show them that, whether it's upfront and how you position your products on marketplaces or it's through some of these retargeting efforts. Yeah, and you make, Kelsey, to your original point on, you know, having your own website and, you know, being able to build a brand presence there. Maybe even that's a view on on having a website, right? It, yeah. it helps you, you know, get email addresses. You can you can target your customers through through discounts or through offers and tell them about something going on on Amazon. So you can create an entire online ecosystem outside of just Amazon, for example. Right, yeah. Okay. And unfortunately, now that you... is the hard part about the marketplaces is you don't get a lot of that customer data. They're not your customer to retarget to. So to that point, it really does kind of put a more important emphasis on having having that direct website or having that social media where you can tap into a customer base that is yours. That's right. That's right. Now I'm a tech guy and I, you know, I, I always try to keep in, in, in touch with, you know, the future of technology and how that applies to consumer behavior, shopping, et cetera. Now there's a lot of talk about, you know, voice powered shopping through like Alexa, for example, and the use of, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality to go and touch and feel products by sitting in your own own home. How do you think tech is going to play an important role in how consumers shop in the future? And does that open up more channels for them to shop at? And how does that also impact brands post, you know, these trends that we're seeing in consumer behaviors? What are your thoughts on tech? Oh, that's a, it's a harder one for me. So I'm not going, I'm not usually the first to adopt these tech ways. Um, <laughs> so, but I know that there is a market that has that, right? Like if you think about, you know, um, I think it was called like the Amazon pods where you would like put these little buttons around your house and you would right. hit the button whenever you needed yeah. to be 
fill. Um, that was years ago, but now I can definitely see the importance and I'd probably adopt that. So I think that out of the gate, you'll have a very targeted customer base. You'll have to get the rest of us up to speed, but it's just giving the customer less it's just an easier way for the customer to purchase or giving them more information about the product so that they can make that informed purchase. So I think like anything, brands will have to keep an eye on it. They'll have to learn about it and they'll have to adopt it. And traditionally what we see are the early adopters with any of these ways, you know, whether it's a marketplace or a direct website or social media, if it's the new up and coming platform, they're the ones that typically succeed. They stake their claim early on and they get their customers to follow. And then it's kind of hard to keep up with them from there. So while maybe me as a consumer, I'm not quite there yet. I would definitely advocate that brands are heavily, you know, involved in watching the trends and starting the process to be a part of those new ways of shopping. I agree. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be shopping through my Alexa anytime soon. I can't get her to play the right song I'm thinking of most of the time, but I do like, and I know that these things exist and I've seen them. I've seen the ability to take a photo of a piece of furniture and like put it in your own house. And I think that that is amazing. I think it is so cool, but I'm still personally trying to catch up to like the touch and feel aspect that we're still trying to mimic. But what I will say is I think, I think it's inevitable that we will get there. I think shoppers will adopt it. Even Megan and I, when we're sitting here saying not yet, but I think that we've seen in the last year, some really like progressive steps to get there. And some of the examples are all of the like, you know, curb shopping that we can do or the groceries that we've been talking about those apps and the changes that they had made so quickly to make them so user-friendly and that those UIs are like exactly what they, they needed at that time shows me that we have the capability to get there quickly. I think that this will accelerate it, but I think that we're still kind of making up some of the gap until we get there. Yeah. If at all, some of these things, what they'll do is they'll just improve the customer experience, which they are, they're giving customers more options. And all that's going to do is it's going to spike up more demand for products on marketplaces or wherever your presence is, which again means that your supply chain has to keep up with the spikes in demand that you probably see on the front end and the cycle sort of continues. And so, you know, I think this, just this trends that are, that we've all talked about today, that they just all come together in, in one circular fashion at some level, right? Which is demand is going to continue to increase through more retention, through newer channels of shopping, through an omni-channel approach. Logistics is going to be a differentiator. Your brand as a, an entirety has to be considered. And, and those are sort of you know, putting it all together in, in one shot, in my opinion. So yeah. Kelsey, Megan, I want to thank you for your thoughts today. I really appreciate you coming onto the show. It was really good to, to get your views. You guys are experts in this space. and you know, being able to share that with our, our listeners and our viewers here is, is critical. So thank you once again for coming on the show and I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again on, on the show soon. Yeah. Thanks, Kunal. So great. Talk to you soon. Oh, great. Thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of uh, Master the Marketplace. We will see you again very soon in a few weeks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Through conversations with experts in online retail, with years of marketing, compliance, and inventory management experience, we seek to empower our listeners to master the marketplace. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next time on Master the Marketplace with Caspian.